Hello, my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. Uh, this is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. Uh, this is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary. I minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in the beautiful city of Adelaide. I'm also your Drive Time host every Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, folks, it is wonderful to be able to join with you today. Uh, I love uh, being able to share uh, with our listeners. Really appreciate the feedback that we uh, are constantly uh, receiving uh, from uh, from so many uh, of our listeners. Uh, look, folks, I'd love to have you, have you join us. Uh, and look, if you do have a, a positive thought, if you've got a comment on one of the issues that we're uh, talking about uh, that we discuss. If you just if you just like to say simply say hello, uh, you can actually do that by texting us. Unfortunately, we don't have a direct dial-in number, but you can do it via text, uh, and that's o four triple eight eight o eight eleven o four triple eight eight oh eight eleven and we would love uh to uh to hear from you where are you actually listening to us from uh we'd love to be able to give you uh, a great big uh shout out uh right now we've got 151 uh small stations right around australia uh listening to us uh this afternoon on drive time and uh that number is increasing uh by the uh, by the week. Now today, our co-host is uh, Pastor Marty Thompson, and Marty's the pastor for the Grace Adventist Centre and Sterling Adventist Churches right here in Adelaide. He's also a trainer for small groups here in uh, South Australia. Now, welcome to you, Marty. Pastor Gary, it's a pleasure to be here. Are you? Uh, it's great to have you part of a, a part of our group. I, I really appreciate uh, all the work that you're doing. You know, I I hear that just recently you've started uh, doing some uh, uh, some uh, solo um, presentations for uh, a commercial radio station over on Kangaroo Island. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's that's been a a joy, a privilege. It's just uh, a great opportunity to be able to share God's Word um, with with folk over there in KI. I would love to actually get the opportunity to visit out there sometime. Yeah. I hear it's a beautiful place. Yeah, no, look, Kangaroo Island is certainly one of the hidden gems of Australia. KI, of course, is uh, just, uh, it's 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 renowned as being Australia's most expensive boat ride to get out there. It's only a three, <laughs> it's only a three quarter of an hour boat ride from uh, the end of the Flurio Peninsula here, uh, which is the peninsula Adelaide sits on, uh, just uh, straight across to uh, uh, to Kingscote, and uh, uh, and that uh, is a is a beautiful, a really beautiful, uh, uh, beautiful trip. Uh, and uh, I know I've had the privilege of being over there a number of times. Certainly, uh, taken my family over there, travelled around the the island, and uh, it's uh, it's a lovely, a lovely location. Uh, but really pleased that you were able to you know get invited to to come on to the uh, commercial uh, radio station there. I think of a Sunday morning, you're doing a half hour uh, session uh, worship. Based 
bass session on a that's Sunday right. morning. That's right. It, there's there's a couple of songs, and then we have a uh, essentially a sermon, and um, you know, it's just it's just great. You know, Pastor Gary, one of the one of the blessings in ministry is that as you share God's word, it actually deepens your own faith and strengthens yeah. your own yeah. faith, and yeah. you. You know, just to have the privilege of actually sharing is is a wonderful thing that I think for it's not just for pastors, it's for all Christians. God calls each of us to share in some way, shape or form. And the reality is when you do share, you receive an incredible blessing. It does. It comes back to you, doesn't it? And it just bubbles up and just keeps on and keeps on going. You know, life-giving water just flows out of you and, uh, you know, it, it impacts others, it impacts your family, it impacts, you know, you grow as a Christian. And uh, I, I know myself uh, being being in ministry now for almost 40 years, uh, to me, if I had my time over again, uh, I'd be uh, making uh, very much the same the same choices. Yeah. And and uh, I just feel abundantly blessed to have been able to work uh, in uh, in this manner uh, for this period of time. Mm. Um, but look, let's come to our World Watch uh, segment. And uh, this uh, this World Watch segment actually comes from uh, uh, the Christian Headlines uh, site once again. And uh, it's talking about an article that just uh, just came out just uh, very recently. And uh, it's talking about Sodom. And it was entitled Massive Evidence. Sodom's destruction was caused by a meteor explosion. Now, I found this article absolutely intriguing, uh, and this is um, uh, this is what it said. A well-known Catholic theologian says new archaeological evidence of a meteor explosion long ago in Jordan aligns with the biblical description of Sodom and Gomorrah, and that the location is likely the site of the ancient event that's recorded in the scriptures. John Bergsma, professor of theology at Franciscan University in Ohio. Ohio. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank, no you so, thank you so much for that, <laughs> Marty. The co-hosts um, and uh, the author of numerous books uh, says that he is convinced archaeologist Stephen Collins has found the site of Solemn. Of Sodom. Uh, Collins is the Dean of the College of Archaeology at Trinity Southwest University. The Jerusalem Post this week ran a story about Bergsman's thoughts on the subject under the headline Biblical Sin City of Sodom Destroyed by Asteroid Stronger Than a Nuke. Bergsma and Collins believe that the asteroid, technically a meteor, in astronomical terms, was used by God to destroy Sodom. The providence is in the timing. These things are in the hands of God, Bergsma said. The evidence within the layers of dirt implies that the city was destroyed by heat, he added. The archaeological evidence, he said, really changed my perspective on the Old Testament. When a meteor comes into the atmosphere, it heats up and then explodes. It can be like an atomic blast, Bergsma said. The timing, the location and the cities all track 
what is described of Abraham and Lot in Genesis 19 and in the surrounding chapters. The archaeological site is located in modern-day Jordan. Pottery found at the site contained trinite, a glass layer that you get when you basically set off an atomic bomb in the desert, he said. This pottery was heated to over 4,000 degrees Fahrenheit for a brief moment of time, Bergsma said. They found massive evidence that a huge heat blast from the sky at about 25 degrees above the horizon incinerated these twin cities on the Jordanian side of the river just north of the Dead Sea, he said. Further adding to the evidence, Bergsma said, archaeologists uncovered human skeletons that are complete up until about halfway up the backbone and then there's just a scorch mark. There's nothing on the top of the body and they find the skeleton behind a wall. The skeleton presumably is the leftover remains of a person standing behind the wall when the meteor exploded. All put together, Bergsma said, the archaeological evidence is very, very uh, convincing. Now, you know, that article, I, I, I found that uh, to be a remarkable article because one of the things that I'm certainly interested in is this whole subject of uh, archaeology. And, uh, you know, to me, it does raise this, uh, this question, uh, Marty. You know, why is archaeology such an important tool in biblical scholarship? Yeah, it's, it's important because it does actually confirm many of the biblical stories. And over the years, there have, there has, has been skepticism, there has been conjecture over whether some of the stories in the Bible actually happened and whether there is actually evidence. You know, an example of this, I suppose, is in the book of Daniel where the, um, the you know the name Nebuchadnezzar couldn't be found and um and for many years this this name was lost in history and 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 the people you know the skeptics kind of said look if this was reality um if what was recorded in Daniel was actually true then there should be heaps of evidence mm. to find Nebuchadnezzar's mm. name and then lo and behold when um you know when they're doing doing the dig at the old site uh, there in Iraq which is um where ancient Babylon was located they found thousands and thousands of bricks with Nebuchadnezzar's name imprinted Indeed. on the bricks and so in other words the archaeological evidence over time has really just confirmed the um, the ac- the accuracy of the biblical record. Mm, yeah, no, I appreciate what you're actually saying there. And you know, when you actually read this this story of Sodom and Gomorrah, you turn around and say, "Hey, here is just more evidence once again that the Word of God has actually got incredible uh, authority connected to it. It actually uh, was written in the time uh, when these cities did exist, and they are actually." Reliable documents. You know, I was I was amazed when I went into the. Uh, I, I had the privilege on one occasion to travel through the Middle East, and uh, there's a uh, there's one uh, museum there that's uh, uh, that's dedicated just uh, to the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now I had the privilege of going and uh, where the to, to the location where the Dead Sea 
holes were uh, were actually found. And, and you know, the thing that really just jumps out at me is how reliable. Uh, even the, those, those who are uh, studying the documents see those ancient scrolls, you know, dating from a hundred years before Christ, still in existence today. And as a result of them still, we can compare them with later copies and just a track. And because people sometimes say, Hey, you know, you'd expect huge changes to have occurred over that period of time. But of course, by, um, by comparing the, uh, ten, the 100 BC copies with later copies, you can actually have a look and you can say, Hey, how much change has actually taken place? And, uh, when you, uh, when you actually look, at the uh, the documents, the earlier documents, the 100 BC documents that are found in the Dead Sea, um, the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, with the much later documents, you find there's been no substantive change mm. over all that time. Uh, you know, to me, this this just gives me a, I suppose, a, a, an incredible confidence. In the Word of God, that the Word of God is something that I can I can trust. Mm, yeah, I, I think like a principle is that truth should always be able to bear scrutiny, and the the closer you investigate truth, really, the more attractive and the more um, the more convincing it actually can appear to be. And and religion, if your religion is true, it should always bear the test of scrutiny. It should, truth should be able to stand on its own two feet. And this is one of the exciting things about, you know, archaeology is that it continues to confirm the accuracy of, of the scriptures. I know in the Old Testament, there's mention of the, the Hittites. Uh-huh. As a major, major group. And for, for years and years, nobody could find evidence for the existence of the Hittites. Mm. And then lo and behold, as, as the archaeology continued, they discovered, you know, place after place after place where, um, there was evidence of a, a, a huge civilization which, um, aligns with the biblical description again of, of the Hittites. And, um, I think Petra is another amazing example of this. The Edomites were another another group where they thought, you know, the evidence around the Edomites is just, you know, lacking from biblical archaeology, etc. Or there's there's where's the evidence for the existence of such a people as the Edomites? And then it was um I can't remember in the year when it took place, but a, a particular um archaeologist actually dressed himself as as an as an Arab and um connected with the locals and they took him to one of their best kept secrets and they walked through this you know this this uh this crevice in the rock mm. this this you know the rock walls either side and eventually comes out comes out and sees the incredible city of Petra yeah. this ancient edomite city and once again this the the critics were silenced because once again the the evidence was literally right there. Yeah, no, look, and that, you know, I had the privilege to certainly go to Petra. When you go there, you stand in awe at what the Edomites have been able to do in that particular location. Of course, they're all mentioned in the Bible, uh, and nowhere else we wouldn't know about them if they hadn't been mentioned within the Bible. The Bible is actually an incredibly reliable source document. You know, I love it. Probably to me, this is the one I, I love sharing with people, and that 
that's uh, uh, the, the story of Belshazzar's feast. You know, in the book of Daniel, chapter 5, you get the story of Belshazzar's feast. Belshazzar, of course, is presented as the last king of uh, of Babylon. Uh, now, uh, that was uh, um, that was something that certainly the Bible under, uh, understood and presented that way for many years. The only problem was the secular archaeologists uh, knew who the last king of Babylon was. It was Nabonidus. And you look at Nabonidus and say, hey, and they would constantly be looking at, hey, you know, the Bible is wrong. The Bible is saying that Belshazzar is the last king of Babylon. When in actual fact, we know from archaeology it's Nabonidus. Well, it was really interesting that uh, finally another uh, document was uh, uh, was actually dug up. I, I believe it's in the in the British Museum at, at this particular point in time. And uh, um, what what was was discovered was that the last rulership in Babylon was actually a co-regency. There was actually a father, Nabonidus, he was actually the king, but he had appointed his son, who happened to be called Belshazzar, to the throne. There were actually two people on the throne. And to me, I I looked at that and I thought, hey, you know, a a thrill goes up my back, you know, uh, when, when I realized that the scriptures were so, uh, were so accurate. You know, on the night that Babylon uh, was destroyed, uh, who was in town? Well, actually it was Belshazzar, the son. What was the father doing? Well, the father was actually fighting a battle about 150 kilometers further away. Dad was out of town. What was the son Belshazzar doing? He was living it up. He was having a party. Let's party on, guys. You know, it's so significant that in the book of Daniel, what you find is that Belshazzar, of course, offers the the person who can interpret the writing on the wall to be third ruler in the kingdom. Why does he say third ruler in the kingdom and not second ruler in the kingdom? He says third because he is number two. And the king, the real king, Nabonidus, is out of town. This is a co-regency. But you know, it's only archaeology that was actually able to establish yeah. that. And when uh, it, it was quite amazing when uh, secular archaeologists realized what the, what the reality was, mm. uh, suddenly everything went very quiet and uh, away, uh, away they went. And uh, this issue hasn't been heard of again. But many people don't understand that particular story. Do you know, Marty, the thing that I'm just so conscious of is that the Word of God is quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And most significantly, it is reliable. It is factually yeah, reliable. That's right. That's right. It, you know, in a world where there are so many different voices and opinions and, you know, to, to actually have something you can trust is just is such an incredible thing. It gives you confidence to know that when you follow the word of God, you're on the right track. Indeed, indeed. Look, folks, it is time we come to some music, but today I've got something really special for, uh, mu- uh, for, our, for our music. And Marty, I understand you're a bit of a musician. Pastor Gary, well, I, I enjoy uh, playing guitar and, and singing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, 
class myself as a musician. You but, sing with um, your wife, I, don't I you? You sing with your wife, don't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. You do. Sometimes. Well, I'll tell you what, I just happen to have a song here that's, uh, that says, uh, Marty and Tanae Thompson. Now that would be, that would be you, wouldn't it? Now, Absolutely. You've just called yourself just a, a slight, not, not a real good musician. Well, we're going to be, our, our listeners are going to be able <laughs> to establish whether you're a good musician it's or a bad it's, it's musician. It's amazing what you can do in the recording studio, Pastor Gary. It certainly <laughs> is. It certainly is. Folks, this is uh, our co-host. Uh, this is, uh, Marty and with his wife tonight, uh, singing, they're singing, uh, just, uh, uh, keep, uh, pressing on. Uh, I believe you'll be richly blessed.
That was our uh, today's co-host, uh, Marty Thompson, with his wife, uh, Tanae. Uh, they were singing Keep Pressing On. Uh, that was a really beaut song for a bloke who only just dabbles in music. I thought uh, that was uh, incredibly <laughs> pre- impressive, Marty. Uh, <laughs> Um, look, guys, we do have a giveaway for you uh, today. Uh, now, this uh, giveaway is a, a real beauty, End Time Hope, A Journey to Eternity by Mark Finley. End Time Hope, A Journey to Eternity. Terrorist threats, school violence, devastating tornadoes, a shaky economy, the rising nuclear threat, and... North Korea, it's all enough to frighten anybody unless you understand what's behind today's headlines. Now, this week, folks, of course, we're talking about the environment. Uh, that's repetitiously in the high, uh, in the headlines. What we're trying to do this week is to dig behind uh, what's actually in the headlines. What do the scriptures actually say? Now, this book provides answers to the confusing dilemma that this world is facing. Uh, You'll experience hope as you read each chapter, as we explore uh, what the Bible says about what's really going on in our world. You'll discover answers that satisfy your head and actually speak to your heart. Now, guys, look, this this book is one of those books that uh, you would be easily able to share with a friend. Uh, It's also one uh, that will impact you and establish your faith. Uh, Now, guys, look, if you would like your own uh, own copy of End Time Hope, A Journey to Eternity, all you've got to do is to text us here at uh, at our Faith FM studio. Now, uh, what you need to uh, to do is to uh, text us to our uh, drive time number, which is 04888 80811. That number again is 04888 80811. And in your text... Just put five digits. SA138 is today's code. SA138 uh, is this week's code. And uh, all you need to do is to send us that uh, that text. Now, that'll be picked up by our robot. Uh, we call him Faithful. Uh, he's a, He is a faithful robot. He'll ask you a few questions uh, so that uh, we can get this book to you in the fastest way uh, possible. You will love this book, End Time Hope, A Journey to Eternity by Mark Finlay. So that uh, number again is 04888 80811 and the code is SA138. Uh, you'll love uh, this book. Uh, why not uh, request that book uh, right uh, uh, right now? Now, folks, you are listening to uh, Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary, and today our co-host is Pastor Marty Thompson, who pastors the Grace and Sterling uh, Seventh-day Adventist Churches right here in the beautiful city of Adelaide. And this week, we're following the theme, the Bible, the church, and the environment. Now, this is one of those really, really big, uh, big subjects. It's constantly pushed at us, uh, in the, in the secular media from every possible perspective. Today, I just, we want to look at the scriptures. We want to ask, how did we get to where we are at today? 
And what did God mean when he commanded Adam to subdue the earth? You know, Marty, this is a really controversial question because, uh, you know, as we move through the week, we're going to discover, and next week as well, what we're going to discover is that uh, increasingly uh, we're finding that our our secular world is looking for solutions. And the solutions, of course, uh, are all uh, are based on this world being uh, able to continue for generations to come. Um, but what we're going to discover is that, hey, uh, possibly the, the Bible's actually got another, not, not, not another solution. Um, Marty, look, just just help us out if you can. Um, you know, it uh, Christians. You know, I mean, uh, how did we get to where we're at today? And you know, Christians have been accused of pillaging the earth and using God's command in Genesis to justify that fact. Um, how how did we get here? And what does that command really mean? Yeah, Pastor Gary, this is a it's a great question. Um, you know, what does it mean when God told Adam to yeah essentially subdue the earth and also to have dominion over the the earth and the creatures within the earth? And and this comes from Genesis chapter one. And I'm just reading Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. Mm. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Verse 28. Then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, what is the context here? The context is perfection. Mm-hmm. This is God's perfect world. There is no sin in the world, meaning there is no selfishness, there there is certainly no greed. And so that's important to understand that this idea that God says to Adam and Eve, and he says, I'm going to give you dominion over the earth, you are to subdue the earth, this is an in an in sorry, this is in a perfect environment. So there was no desire within the heart of Adam and Eve to, I suppose, use the resources of earth to their own selfish advantage. That kind of thinking did not exist at this point in time. Um, God made man in his own image. In other words, the rulership of God over the universe, which was based on love because the Bible says God is love, 1 John 4, 8, that kind of leadership, that kind of rulership was to be mirrored in the way that Adam and Eve actually had leadership and rulership over the earth. So it wasn't to be, um, you know, so we're really talking about a time when we've got a, a perfect earth that's been created by God. And if you follow the word of God, uh, we're only talking a, a, a short time ago, not uh, millions of, of years ago. And we're talking about an earth that is pictured, certainly in the early chapters of Genesis, as being perfect in every way. Absolutely. And so... 
to try and use this verse to potentially justify, you know, pillaging the earth's resources for the, for the sake of um, selfish gain is a total misinterpretation of this particular text. Um, Adam and Eve, you know, humanity were, were placed on the earth, were given a position of trust in the earth to actually take care of the earth. In a sense, Adam and Eve were essentially appointed as managers, if you like, over the earth. God, of course, is the ultimate owner, but Adam and Eve were appointed as the managers. And you see this in Genesis 2.15, where God said, um, or rather the Bible says, then God the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Mm. The idea was that Adam was to look after the Garden of Eden. He was actually to to guard it, to protect it, to help it to flourish, to help it to grow, and um, and that was the role of of Adam and Eve in the earth. And so, certainly, we we shouldn't. We certainly cannot um, see this verse as some kind of excuse or some kind of precedent for saying, yeah, let's just, you know, use the resources however we see fit because we're in charge, we're the bosses around here. Ultimately, God is the boss and we're meant to be good, productive, um, careful managers of the resources that he's yeah, entrusted this to is us. Important. This is really important, Marty, because I'm just so conscious that it's very easy to pick up one or two passages from the Scriptures, pull them out of context, and just simply say, hey, look, you know, uh, the reason that, you know, there has been so much pillaging that's happened around the earth is because, you know, here God, and this is certainly an argument that is actually used, particularly against uh, Christian Christian people, that your God gave you the authority uh, to actually be able to pillage uh, all that is on the earth. Whereas in actual fact, what you're saying is we've got a God who asked humanity to be managers of Everything that's on this, I mean, we would call it stewards. I mean, that's a bit of out of date, that that, that particular term, um, but asked us to be managers mm. of our world. Absolutely. You know, and, and there's a there's a fascinating insight there in, in Genesis where the word for Adam in the Hebrew actually means ground or the earth. Mm-hmm. And so here you have this picture of God actually creating Adam from the earth, it says in Genesis 2, 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, why is this so significant? It's significant because man is actually created out of the earth itself. Mm-hmm. This would indicate a very close relationship between people and the environment. It's a little bit similar to the fact that to to make woman, God took a rib out of man, and out of that rib he made woman, and that was to indicate the closeness of relationship between man and woman. And so in yeah. a similar way, God takes the dust of the ground and makes man mm. to show this relationship between man and the earth. And so just as the Apostle Paul picks up on the fact that if you if you if you harm your wife as a husband you're actually harming yourself so too if you harm the earth 
you're actually harming yourself and future generations. Okay, okay. Look, can we just move just to to, to another point then? Because I'm conscious our time is starting to get away from us. What caused, why is it that the world is in the state that it is in today? Because, I mean, let's face it, it's no longer perfect. It's getting run down. Why is it, uh, I mean, what's caused it to get into this state? As soon as sin entered the world, the environment changed dramatically. Nature changed dramatically. When you read Genesis 1 and 2, you see the world perfect. You see that God's, that's God's original plan, His design. But then in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve open a door that God never intended for them to open, and sin entered this world. And as a result of sin entering this world, things, um, Turned on its things were turned on its head when God spoke to the serpent. For example, He says, "From now on, you're going to crawl on your belly." So apparently, before that, a serpent was capable potentially of um, potentially even of flight or of certainly of of walking or of moving in in a different way than just wriggling on its belly. So actual nature physically changed. God said to Adam, from now on, when you work, the soil isn't going to be as productive as it was. You're going to have to work hard. You're going to have to pull out weeds, etc., in order to get a crop. But there will be a blessing in that because now that your nature has changed, now that you have a, a distorted picture of God, now that sin has entered the world, you actually need challenges in order to grow. But essentially, sin entering the world changed this the environment, it changed the human heart, it changed the way that the animals related to human beings. And this In other words, sin comes into this world and you get things like, for example, greed impacting humanity. Now of course, of course if in yeah. fact I am I become a, a greedy person when in actual fact humanity wasn't created in that way but became that way through sin. What happens if I am a greedy person when I see the resources of the earth? What does actually take place? Of course and that's where the problem lies because then the human heart wants to use those advantage those resources for its own selfish purposes. And we see a, a very interesting warning given in the book of Revelation, chapter 11, and in verse 18. God gives this warning and says, The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great. Now, this is obviously talking about right at the end of time. This is a judgment scenario. This is a judgment scenario, and this is talking about the time of the end. This is just before the resurrection, etc. And then it says, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. So, in an end time context... The book of Revelation gives a warning that God is actually going to destroy those who destroy the earth. And this, to me, makes perfect sense. Because if Adam was created from the earth, and if if me harming the earth impacts me, then that's actually the result. The destruction of the earth is what results in our own destruction as well, if that makes sense. In other words, the cause of what is impacting the world's environment at this point is actually 
human-based, but the human base is connected to things such as greed and the human, the nature of humanity uh, has uh, has the climate change. Well, frankly, we know not, and I don't want to go, even go into that debate because I believe there's actually a much bigger issue here. According to the Word of God, uh, what you find is that the entire world, and certainly what you said there in Revelation, that God's going to destroy those who destroy the earth. Does He recognize that the earth is being destroyed? Yes. Why? Is he, uh, is the earth being destroyed? Because there are people who are destroying the earth. Why do people destroy the earth? Because of issues like greed and covetousness. Absolutely. The, these are the, these are the, these are the issues that un, that are essentially the foundation for why, you know, the earth is, is essentially becoming a place that is that is less and less like it was originally, mm-hmm. which was perfect. And it's interesting when you see, when you read in Matthew chapter 24, one of the great chapters of the Bible, where Jesus is actually describing the signs of the end times. And one of the signs that he gives are signs in the natural world. He talks about the fact that there'll be famines. Mm-hmm. He talks about pestilences and diseases. He talks about earthquakes in various places. These are things that are going to increase in frequency and intensity as we get closer to the second coming of Jesus. Now, why? Why is that the case? Is there a cause and effect relationship? I believe there is. I believe the Bible makes it very clear that human decisions and the choice to sin and rebel against God always has an impact on the natural environment. You see Mm. this right throughout the scriptures. And so this idea that, uh, yeah, that as we get closer to the end of time, that, that our choices are actually negatively impacting the environment. I see that as very clear. Now, before we finish up today, we certainly want to come to some points of what is our responsibility? Mm. What are some practical take-home things that we can, uh, can, can look at, you know, irrespective of, of our opinion of, of things like global warming, etc. The reality is that human choices do impact the environment mm. and that is right through scripture. Okay. Let's come to that in a moment. Let's come to some music uh, right now. This is, uh, Guy Penrod. Uh, then came the morning. And of course, that's exactly, uh, what we are all, uh, looking forward to. Guy Penrod, then came the morning. Their dearest friend All that he said Now he was dead So this was the way it went The dreams they had dreamed Were not what they'd seen Now that he was dead the nail How could a night be so long Then came the morning 
that, of course, is uh, Guy Penrod. Then came the morning. What a voice that man has. What a voice. Goodness me. Folks, we do have a giveaway book for you today, End Time Hope. We're talking about the environment this week. Is there hope? You better believe there is. This book, End Time Hope, A Journey to Eternity by Mark Finlay. Uh, you'll love this book. Uh, in the uh, in the light of everything that's occurring in our world, uh, what Mark does is dig, digs into the world uh, word of God and, and simply presents incredible hope uh, for our day and our age. Now, look, folks, if you would like your own copy of End Time Hope, uh, all you need to do is to text us. Now, our studio text number is 04888 and the code for today, just in that text, just put five digits in a row, no gap between any of the letters or um, letters or uh, numbers, SA138, SA138 is all you need, just five digits in a row, SA138. Three eight and send that to o four triple eight eight o eight eleven and uh, that'll go through to our robot and uh, our robot faithful he'll uh, pick it up he'll come in contact with you uh, get a few details off you so that we can get this book to you in the fastest way possible you'll really love it uh, end time hope by Mark Finley o four o four triple eight Eight oh eight eleven, and uh, that code again is uh, SA one thirty thirty eight. Now, uh, welcome back. You are listening to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q and A with Pastor Gary, and this week we're looking at the. Uh, theme, the Bible, the church and the environment. This is one that's being force fed uh, to us through all the secular media everywhere we go. What we're trying to do this week is to look at the biblical perspective on this subject. Marty, really appreciate what it is that uh, that you've been sharing. So, you know, so far, you know, we've sort of seen that we've had a perfect world, you know, but the thing that's really corrupted is this thing called sin. And the deeper people go into sin, the more the world uh, actually spies Spirals out of uh, out of control. Uh, but look, bring it all together for us, will you? You know, Pastor Gary, it's, this is a fascinating subject, and and what I want to touch on is the Sabbath principle. You see, the Sabbath principle actually deals with this the issue of the environment. And of course the the Sabbath command is found in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter twenty and beginning in verse eight, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, God says. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So we see in the Ten Commandments this principle of the Sabbath, this idea of actually working for six days and then resting. And this, of course, points back to creation. Mm. where God created the world, the earth, and all that is in it in six days, and then rested. Now, part of this rest actually has a phenomenal impact on the environment. When you can actually give the land a rest, when you can give your cattle, your animals, etc., a rest, 
This is part of being a good manager of the environment. In fact, in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 23, God gave these instructions to his people. When it came, now, of course, the Israelites were, um, you know, they were basically farmers. That's, you know, they were an agricultural society, weren't they? And here's what God said to them in Exodus 23, verse 10 and 11. For six years you were to sow your fields and harvest the crops. But during the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. Then the poor among your people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what is left. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Mm. This is a beautiful principle that God actually puts there. He says, work the land for six years, and then on the seventh year, let it lie fallow. Don't work the land, let it God rest. God actually commands a holiday. Don't you love this? He not does. Just, not just once a week, but I want you to have once every seven years. I want you to have the whole year. I want you to have it off. Absolutely. And this was one to protect from greed mm. and covetousness of this idea of, oh, I'm just going to keep working, keep working, keep working, keep earning. You know, many people, I believe, Pastor Gary, are stuck on the roundabout of life. Yeah. You know, they just want more and more and more. And the question is, when do you get off the roundabout? When have you got enough? Yeah. When do you actually come to the place where you're like, you know what? I'm satisfied. Yeah. You know, yeah. does, does, you know, this kind of mindset, God intentionally wanted to protect the people from the actually Paul going actually down that track. Said, the Apostle Paul actually said, I am content. You know, I love it when... And that's true riches right there, isn't it? And it is incredible, you know, to <laughs> learn to be content. That is true riches when you're content. And this was a beautiful thing, even the poor, because, you know, obviously, I, I, I used to work with pumpkins, Pastor Gary, and if you, even if you didn't um, sow a certain area... The next season comes around, you've got more pumpkins growing, just wild, <laughs> wild pumpkins. And no doubt that's what would have happened. You know, yeah. even yeah. they would have just had some wild, uh, you know, wild grains, barleys, wheats, whatever, um, oats, whatever they were growing, you know, were, were, were going to be growing grapes, olives. And those who are poor through misfortune, through ill health could actually go and, and, and take that harvest, you know, and and be blessed. And so here was God instilling a very important principle. Now, of course, unfortunately, God's people became greedy. They became covetous. They lost sight of this command, and they just kept on working the land year after year after year after year. They didn't. They come to the seventh year. They kept working the land because people, you know, they, they wanted to keep getting more and more and they more. They wanted to keep getting they wanted to keep getting it. And um, and this is a fascinating text that comes up in the book of Chronicles, right at the end of the book of Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 36, verses 20 and 21. Here's what the Bible says. God carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword, and they became servants of him, that would be Nebuchadnezzar, and his successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power. So God allowed his people to go into exile mm-hmm. in the kingdom of Babylon. Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. Notice what the verse says. The land was then able to enjoy its Sabbath rests all the time 
of its desolation is it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. So in other words, there was a consequence. Where, where did this 70 years of captivity in Babylon come from? Was it just plucked out of thin air? Apparently not. Apparently it was related to the fact that they hadn't allowed the land to rest. And so God allows the land to rest for 70 years. There is always a cause and effect relationship mm. when it comes to our choices and the environment. Mm. Whether you can pinpoint the exact mechanism is, is, is of little consequence. The, the principle is greed and selfishness does result in negatively impacting their environment. And the significant thing is it's only when you can solve greed and selfishness that you can solve the environmental problems that we're facing. You know, uh, today I hear so much, I say hear so often that uh, individuals are, uh, you know, I mean, the cause is uh, global, you know, global warming and by, uh, you know, running around and stop using uh, coal and stop using the uh, 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 petro uh, chemicals uh, that we're actually going to solve global warming. No, 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 no. Yeah. The problem is actually in the human heart. Yeah, absolutely. So, and that's what the Word of God does. The Word of God changes the human heart. Absolutely. You know, just just to give a couple of punchlines as we, as we kind of come to a close, um, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. So God as has entrusted us to be managers of the environment. Yeah. We are to be faithful. How are we how are we faithful? Simply by um, through love and through nurture, we we actually have victory over selfishness and covetousness. We have an attitude of gratitude in that we rejoice in the blessings that have come to us from God as a result of his love, and then it is God's love through us that compels us to live graciously and to give generously, to live generous, happy, content lives where we actually want to use the resources that God has given us to be a blessing rather than to use them for our own selfish advantages. What a beautiful thought. Let's have a prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you right now. Lord, I want to say thank you for being the Lord and our God. Thank you for being the almighty creator. Lord, thank you for calling us to be stewards. Lord, I pray that you might dwell in our hearts, that we might know how we can be better stewards of your world. Lord, these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, folks, it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and Marty Thompson on Drive Time Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when I'll be chatting with uh, Pastor Brenton Wilkinson. We'll be responding to the question, why the huge increase in unstable weather and natural disasters? And does the Bible have anything to say? Indeed it does. Oh, I believe you'll be surprised. Really look forward to being with you then. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart and the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio.